There we go. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I know it's a little little technical difficulties. Typically, it's not the case because this is such a great app, but, you know, some, no, oh, no, some, sometimes it happens. Uh, let's give it, you know, 10, 20 more seconds here before, before we get rolling, and then I'm sure some people will come on later in the pod as as usual but uh mm-hmm. yeah so i love the love the title very uh very apt well not well you know uh, we'll yeah you know contest it you know it's it just fits you know the bungles yeah it's i know it's it rolls off the tongue it's very natural i don't i don't believe you <laughs> well well you know what we're uh, we're a few minutes into the scheduled start so let's go ahead and kick this off everybody welcome back to sports with a z after a brief hiatus uh you know i the plan was always one, at least one of these a week, but you know, life happens, fantasy football happens, work happens. Uh, we got to adjust. And, and that's why this app is, is so great. It It's so flexible and you can pod from anywhere. And so uh, back to scheduled programming. Uh, this is episode five, I believe, of Sports with Z and very special guest today. Uh, one of my closest friends, Andre Reddy uh is going to be co-hosting with me today as we preview the AFC North there's a lot going on there but specifically as the title suggests the Cincinnati Bengals uh so with that uh Anvit I'd like you to introduce yourself uh and you know what we like to start off with is uh, how long you've been a fan of this team uh your most unpleasant moment and then your best moment and what you're most looking forward to about the future. So I, I just said a lot there, but, but I'll turn it over to you and let you uh, kick things off. Awesome. Um, thanks Zach. And happy to be on. Uh, I, I completely uh, echo and, and uh, understand the sentiment of the show. I think it's awesome that you're getting um, fans on here and getting the local perspective because, you know, especially coming, being a fan of a small market team like the Bengals, I can, Sure, assure you that the the narratives that happen in in the national media versus what's being discussed on by the local beat reporters is so different. So I really appreciate your mission and uh, totally uh, totally vibe with it. Um, in terms of my relationship with the love hate relationship with the Bengals, I've been a fan since I've probably you know since I've been you know at least seventeen eighteen years now um, since I started following sports. Um, when, when I was four or five years old, I, I grew up in a suburb of Cincinnati. Um, my, my dad was definitely into football and, and basketball then, and, and Bengals were, you know, natural follow for me as I, as I watched, uh, watched my dad's ag- agonize over them. So, um, you know, unfortunately I've been, uh, I, I was thrust into fandom very early on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I started following them. Um, you know, my first memories are probably the, the John Kitna years, uh, right before, uh, probably the year that they, they drafted Palmer and sat him for a year. And John, John, Kitna. John Kitna played for the Bengals. I did not know that. Yeah, dude. He played. He was like, a, he was the original, original bridge quarterback, like, uh, Alex Smith wow. to Mahomes. Uh, we, we sat Palmer for a year in 2003 or four. And uh, and Kitna was like the bridge quarterback, so he he played it. We actually, I think we went, uh, I think we went eight and eight that year, um, which is kind of crazy. So I mean, Kitna was a you know definitely a a solid journeyman quarterback. Um, so uh, definitely no ill will towards him and w- what he did for us. So <laughs> um, so then those are my first moments watching the Bengals in terms of uh, 
high points, low points. I honestly think it probably happened in the same season that, uh, that 2015, 2016 season, um, where we started the season eight and no, um, which is the best start by far that the Bengals had during my, my tenure as a fan. Um, I think optimism was incredibly high offense was clicking on all cylinders. Defense was looking great. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, injury to Dalton. But even even despite that injury, I think we were still pretty positive. We, we you know, it wasn't that he was out for the season. We were thinking that, okay, if we can uh, weather the storm, win a couple games here and there, we'll be able to get Dalton back and our offense will be get back into kicking into high gear. Our defense was probably playing pretty well throughout that entire year. And then, you know, that, that Steelers game, that wild card game, I think, you know, ever since then, I've definitely felt uh, a bit of a, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to describe the emotion, but it's very much feels like I'm dead inside as a fan. So it's <laughs> unfortunately, you know, there have been um, more low moments as a Bengals fan than high moments. But uh, that that season was definitely a roller coaster for me. Yeah, that that was a, a tough game. Uh, and, and you all have had your fair share. You know, it, it's really saying something to, to pick a moment because, you know, the Bengals uh, and I know myself and, and our other friends will razz you on it. But the Bengals have been one of the more unfortunate franchises. As in, even when they succeed, it always seems something happens. You had those few straight, and, and I'm going to botch, you know, the exact streak in which years it happens. But, uh, you know, when at post-Palmer with, with Andy Dalton, you had those few, mm-hmm. not, like a few straight years making the playoffs. Uh, and it yeah, always yeah, seemed like something years. happened, whether uh-huh. it was, you know, the team just didn't click or Andy being hurt, A.J. Green being hurt. Um, and then just the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, uh, definitely one of the more tortured fan bases, uh, in, in, in the NFL, uh, which I think is why it's so fitting. You're, you're in the AFC North along with the Cleveland Browns who for the longest time, I think people would safely say are, we're the more tortured fan base, but the Brown, the Browns are mm-hmm. on, on, on the up and up. And, you know, we've got two other teams in that division, the, the Ravens and Steelers. And I'll kind of use, use this as a segue to, outline this pod for today uh you know this is afc north but you know in in the lens of the Bengals, so we'll try and front load you know those first three teams i, I want to get your thoughts on from just you know neutral perspective as well as you know any fan is more in tune and, and aware of the divisional opponents than the average other uh, neutral fan. So I think we can talk about a few storylines there and then mm-hmm. I'll kind of just turn it over to you uh, with the Bengals. I know I personally want to get into a few things. Uh, Joe Burrow, obviously the big storyline, number one pick last year coming back from from the tough injury. Zach Taylor, what he's still doing there, why he's still there, if, if he can improve anything there. And then, you know, maybe Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, but uh, I guess we'll just feel it out as it goes. Uh, and so, so does that all, all sound good to you? Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Cool, yeah. So like let's start off with let's start off. Let's go and start off with the Steelers because the Steelers. I feel uh, sure. when you think of the AFC North, I know you know the Ravens have won a couple Super Bowls. You know, the Bengals, we just said, had those streaks, uh, and the Browns now are are the team. But the Steelers have really been the class of the AFC North across generations and one of the few franchises like that. You know, the the Patriots are that for the AFC East. Uh, but it was, for a while, that was never the case. Uh, Cowboys in the NFC East, uh, the, you know, the Packers have gone in and out, but the Steelers are just always there. And it seems really for the first time, there's a little crack in the armor. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering, uh, I think obviously the big question to the offensive line, the mm-hmm. big offseason acquisition was Najee Harris. But 
how how do we think about the Steelers this year, and and what if any fears do you have about that roster as a divisional opponent? Yeah, definitely, and I, I think you hit it on the uh, hit the nail on the head. It's they they're a class. Uh, they're the cream of the crop when it comes to, I mean, not just the division, but the NFL. But I always find it funny whenever you see these polls on Twitter or ESPN, you ask each fan base, who's your biggest rival in your division? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a sign of success when all your other division mates pick one team. Uh, you know, I think you ask the Ravens, Browns, Steelers, or Ravens, Browns, Bengals fans, they all say the Steelers. So it's just a sign of their success. But, I mean, yeah, it's this is this has been, the uh, I think, one of the most uh, – um, are the years filled with the most uncertainty for the Steelers? I think uh, you know they they started off so well last year, winning a lot of. I mean, they did win a lot of close games, but I don't know if you remember, but there's a lot of chatter about them, you know, being the the worst undefeated team or worst, yeah, worst eleven team yeah. in, in history. Um, you know, I, I I think it's it's tough because you just have like I I think on the defensive end they they lost Evan Bush last year. Um, and I mean, getting him back can only help, but they're, they're still a terror on, on defense. And, um, you know, I, I think that the rest, you know, the, and typically the recipe usually is right. Like you, you, uh, control the clock, play great defense, uh, chew the clock out with a, with a workhorse running back. And it seems like they're trying to do that with, with drafting Najee with their first round pick. Um, but like you said, it's just the, the offensive line is just such a question mark. And, um, you know, I, I think that it ultimately comes down to can they can they really figure that out can they get it to be like a, t- a below slightly below average offensive line and i think that's probably the key to it you know control the ball ben's a veteran quarterback you can probably ask him to avoid making mistakes but if they can get that offensive line to be you know as a 16th to 20th ranked unit then you know they probably have enough to be quite a competitive team and you know having a veteran quarterback who, does, who you know knows his limits now doesn't make mistakes. Uh, um, you know, I think they've, they've been definitely probably getting a little, a little too much flack. Uh, you know, I'm not an offensive line expert by any means, but uh, Tomlin's a great coach. He's always had a great staff. And um, if there's anyone who could probably make or get the most out of uh, um, a motley group of players, it, w- it would be Tomlin. So, I mean, I think that's the, that's the bogey. That's the monkey on their back, but if they can figure that out, I think they have the, the recipe to, to, you know, have a great season. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's Mike Tomlin that I think gives me hope about this team, maybe overly optimistic mm-hmm. uh, from from a fantasy football perspective. I know I have a lot riding on uh, Najee Harris, but we don't we don't we don't need to go that far uh, deep. Into <laughs> that's that, but, that's for a different pod. You know, that that is for a different pod. I could I could talk about that forever. But uh, I, I, I agree with you that I think the pieces are there. Mike Tomlin, the Steelers, too. I mean, each of the last two years, I think it should be a testament. Some people will say negatively, oh, one of the worst 11-0 and teams, one of the worst 8-8 and teams. That should be a testament to the coaching because you see so many times in this league uh, where mm-hmm. talent is wasted. And, and, you know, the Falcons are an example. The Falcons should have won at least seven games last year, you know, and, and uh, they won, I believe, they were 4-12. Um, right. Yeah, so – I, I think the Steelers are one of those teams that the, if the profile existed without the pedigree and the uh, organizational reputation, I think I'd be much more bearish. But I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt, given that they did go 11 and five. You know, they did bring in Najee. They realized you can't uh, ride Benny Snell 
20 carries a game and expect to get anything out of that. Uh, really mm-hmm. strong wide receiver core. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think it remains to be seen. I think that is in large contrast. So I think if we want to bucket this division, I really think you can put the Browns and I think you have the Steelers and the, they're always in the class of their own for, for their own reasons, the things we discussed. So I think the Steelers are, are one way in, in kind of the mm-hmm. transition. Uh, you know, I think we've touched on them a little bit. I think you can kind of talk about the Browns and Ravens in tandem because uh, unless, you know, I'm way off base here, I think those are the two divisional favorites and uh, people would probably say the Browns based off of how last year ended and, and now with J.K. Dobbins being right. hurt for the Ravens. But looking from that lens, you know, the Steelers will always be in the background. Talking about those two teams in tandem, the Browns and Ravens, can you give a little bit of perspective as, again, a divisional opponent rival, which team gives you the most pause, which team, because uh, I, I think it's safe to say, even though we want to tout the Steelers as the organization they are, they are clearly behind the Browns and, and Ravens. Uh, I, I think it, it's safe to say that from, from an outlook perspective, which hasn't been said, yeah. the, the, those two of those, both of those teams ahead of the Steelers, that hasn't been said maybe ever. But I think we can kind of talk about those two teams jointly because they are kind of the class of the of the division right now. So. What is your thoughts on both of those teams? And I'll kind of just let you take it any direction you want. When I say Browns, Ravens, you know, what's going on with your head there and and the outlook for the season? Yeah, definitely. And um, happy to talk about that. The one thing I'll say uh, before we hop away from the Steelers is that I think you hit the, you, you're definitely right. Like, it feels like the national media is is overlooking the Steelers. So I, you know, <laughs> going up with them for the last 20 years, that's one thing that I've never done. You know, Steelers week is always a huge week. So, you know, they, they could surprise people. And, you know, and, and but I think part of that is that the Ravens and Browns have put together some great rosters top to bottom. Um, and it's, it's you know, I think they they've kind of got the formulas figured out. Um, you know, Browns are seem like they're they're kind of they've more or less uh perfected or getting to perfecting the recipe that the Steelers want to follow you know great defense run the ball extremely well have a quarterback who doesn't make too many mistakes which is how they were able to succeed last year I think the one probably uh the one uh opening in their armor one one weakness I could probably point out is um Burrow and our offense um just absolutely tore up their passing defense and I know they have a shutdown corner in uh in Denzel Ward um and they were able to sign John Johnson this this uh, past off season but you know that's that's one area of weakness I I definitely have have noticed in the two games that we played against them last year um you know maybe Johnson helps and maybe they can shore that up but I think like you know with uh given the strength of their offensive line and given the strength of their they you know, they had the best running back tandem in the league I think they have that um they have the recipe to be able to you know avoid, control the clock avoid mistakes and and really just uh put the clamps on teams. So on the Browns, I think it really comes down to that secondary. Can they improve it? Um, is John Johnson going to uh, move the needle, uh, which he very, very well may. I, I feel like a lot of what I heard over the offseason was that it was an awesome signing. It was a great value. Um, he's a, probably an argument can be made for him to be a top 10 safety. So uh, maybe that makes a world of a difference. But um, I mean, yeah, I, it, it's it's really hard to pinpoint any other weaknesses on their, on their team. Um, sure. Maybe you... Yeah. And, and just on that note, I think that's a really interesting point you just brought up. 
because uh, everybody is really touting the Browns. I think, you know, the defense is anchored by Miles Garrett, and everybody's not really poking too many holes in the Browns besides their, I think the reputation will always precede them. They're, they're going to have to win a right. Super Bowl before it doesn't. Uh, but right. that was the one thing, even when they beat the Steelers uh, in that wild card game, that secondary is not, you know, you're, you're really right about that. Not very sharp. And I think, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Lamar is arguably the, best quarterback in the division but as far as pure passer you can probably say that joe burrow is the best pure passer right now i think ben's pass is prime so the team that would be most positioned to take advantage of that is the Bengals in the division it, it kind of sounds like yeah uh, yeah yeah no definitely burrow's probably two of his best games last year happened against the browns um and one of those games was like the second game of his career and he absolutely tore them up um so i mean Maybe, like I said, Johnson makes a difference. Um, I, I'm not quite sure who they have on the other side, uh, opposite Denzel Ward, but um, you know, uh, their but their pass rush pass rush is a problem. So um, maybe they can just get away with average uh, average play on the back end and hope their their pass rush sort of eats uh, eats everyone up. But um, yeah, like and even in, if you think back to the wild card game, they they jumped up to such a huge lead with a bunch of really stupid turnovers on the Steelers part, but you know, Steelers started to make sort of a push towards the end. You know, I, I don't know if that's, they were able to um, find some holes in the, in the passing game where, you know, Ben obviously was making mistakes left and right, but I, I think just, it's a little bit concerning when uh, if you want to control the clock and if you have teams that are able to, uh, you know, score really quickly, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's probably the, what's going to make the most difference if they, if they can uh, figure out the, passing defense this year yeah uh no great points uh and and i you know i think you've you've covered all of it uh from that perspective so so no need to to waste breath on that and and i think before we get into Bengals, you know we do want to talk about the ravens a little bit and obviously the big news yesterday well officially you know just this morning jk dobbins is out for the season uh, so, so why don't we talk about that for a little bit? And I will just start off saying from, from my perspective, I think J.K. Dobbins was obviously obviously the best running back on that roster. I don't know how much it changes the outlook for the Ravens uh, as it would for any other team that lost their uh, starting. Uh, I'm sure here. Yes, yeah, I can you hear me. So, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, this is my bad. Um, what I was saying is, given the philosophy of the team, uh, I don't think losing J.K. Dobbins would hurt a team as much as it would, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott went down for the Cowboys or, uh, you know, who, who's right. someone else, um, you know, doubt. Dal- yeah, maybe like a exactly. Henry or Titans. The Titans, Dalvin Cook for the Vikings. Uh, yeah, so. I don't really think it changes their outlook that much. I think Lamar probably runs a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, what, what is your thoughts on, on the Ravens? Yeah. I think the one thing that they kind of miss with, without Dobbins is uh, right now, they do, I think Dobbins was a little more proven out in terms of being a pass catcher. Um, I'm not quite sure if Edwards has, or Gus Edwards, the, you know, that you running back is going to fill in or take over the starting spot um, has that in his skill set. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure if any of the running backs behind him have that skill set. So I think that's something that Dobbins did sort of give them. Not that, you know, Lamar being a running quarterback or, or having that running skill set really used dump offs that much, but it's something that, you know, obviously that's something that 
uh, they they lose in terms of in terms of uh, strategy and, and building out a game plan for for a week. But I think that's the one thing that they really lose. You know, it's uh, it's it's already one of the best rushing offenses in the league. Um, Lamar adds just an insane dimension for um, for defenses to try to figure that out. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it really doesn't. Um, you know, Dobbins obviously a great player, and you'd love to have him healthy and and um, being able to have the one-two punch of uh, Dobbins, <clears throat> excuse me, of Dobbins and uh, um, Edwards really adds a lot. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think you you don't really lose much of a step. I think players will have to step up, and maybe you don't have as explosive of an offense with screens and, and being able to spell a um, spell the defense and, and catch them off guard. But other than that, I think you know it doesn't really change your outlook that much. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, and I, I think, you know, Lamar is just in a class of his own. I think obviously Kyler Murray, you know, came shortly after him. But I think Lamar is still the best running quarterback in the NFL. And that's always exciting. That will always keep defenses on their toes. I think it'll be interesting to see, though, you know, this is year year three of full on Lamar. You know, he took the lead by storm the first right. year. Last year, he struggled in the beginning uh, and then turned it on towards the end. Really curious to see if, you know, it's a level set. You know, we had the elite MVP season, then what is honestly the disappointment last year. Uh, and let's see if, you know, it, Lamar Jackson sticks around. And I think he will, but I think what I'm always hesitant when I see running quarterback is I do flashback to RG3. Uh, RG3 right. and, and strictly from a professional or a, on the field perspective, Colin Kaepernick, which are two guys who were arguably, you know, MVP candidates and then just fell off, fell off the planet uh, because teams figured them out. And and, and mm-hmm. I wonder, I think Lamar is such an amazing talent. He's a better talent than either of those guys were. Um, so, you know, we, we don't need to harp on that too much, but I, I think that is something else to, to watch for. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let you. Or actually one, yeah. one point I was going to, make is um the one thing that i think we didn't really talk about on the on the browns perspective is is baker you know i feel like he's uh you know i i'm always on twitter getting a sense of what fan bases are thinking and i think one sort of conversations that that's been brewing at least between Bengals and browns fans is who's a better quarterback uh burrow or baker and even like you know being a Bengals fan i could honestly say right now i think baker's being extremely underrated by a lot of people i think he did exactly what he was asked to do last year. He controlled the ball. He avoided turnovers, made plays when he needed to. But, um, you know, I think if you think about like an upside for a team and an offense, um, you know, Baker being the big arm gunslinger that he is, uh, I think he could, he could surprise a lot of people this year. And, um, you know, if you were to rank the quarterbacks right now, like obviously I think Lamar and his talent probably are number one, but I personally would probably put Baker at number two in terms of, uh, you know, just pure, who's the better quarterback right now based on what we've seen and, and based on what they've done, you know, I think probably Baker's um, number two right now in the division. So could be some interesting. Upside. Yeah. So I don't, dis- I don't, I don't disagree. I think that said, so one, I think Baker is going to be a lot better this year. Uh, statistic uh, stats wise, uh, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, the Browns ran into bad luck with bad weather games and, and a few other things. What I will say, though, that I've never heard people talk about is I think it's a fact that Baker's stats are better without Odell Beckham Jr., OBJ, yeah. and they're with him. 
And, you know, the, the argument there is he force feeds OBJ the ball and so he makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. If you're an elite quarterback, having a top four talent wide receiver shouldn't make you worse. Like if you're it, if sure. we're just being honest, it, it may not elevate you even more, but you shouldn't have that little command of your game and your decision making that I don't care what the coaching staff does or anything. You should not your play should not take a hit when you add a top four talent at the position. And now Odell Beckham is barely considered top For five sure. and, and uh, arguably not even top 10. That's not Odell Beckham's fault. Like Baker makes mm-hmm. bad decisions when Odell Beckham Jr. is on the field. And I think that's a massive knock on him because the Browns mm-hmm. did a route, frankly, on it. They surround him with an amazing offensive line, awesome running backs. And they had uh, Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins. You know, they, they went and got, uh, David Njoku, Peoples Jones looking good Peoples too. Jones, um, David Njoku, Austin of, uh, Hooper. They signed him with this wealth of talent. And then they're like, here's the nail in the coffin. We're bringing in Odell Beckham Jr., arguably at the time, arguably the number, the most talented wide receiver. I think I've always thought Julio Jones was, but you know, you could easily have a case to, and again, this was two, three years ago when the trade first happened, but Odell, someone, someone could die on the hill that Odell's the most talented wide receiver ever. And people would maybe, raise an eyebrow, but you mm-hmm. could understand it. And the Browns traded for that guy and mm-hmm. Baker tanked. And so I'm sorry, yeah. you need to, you need to utilize, utilize your weapon before we start putting you on a pedestal. Um, and not that he's being put on a pedestal. I think it's the exact opposite of what you're saying. He's being underrated, but I think that's a talking point that hasn't been discussed. If you're really that good, you know, having a top three talent should make you even better. It shouldn't take away from your game. So, you know, that's a little bit of a tangent, but, but you know, that's my sure. thought. Um, and, and and I mean, any any more follow up thoughts uh, on that end for you? Yeah, just a quick response to that. Like, I think he's still young. Like, what this is his fourth year now? Uh, year four, yeah. Yeah, he's same same year as or same draft class as Lamar. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he's yeah. young. Like, he still he still has a lot of time and um, to figure things out. So, I mean, um, it's just kind of like what I was saying. It's it's incremental upside. Like, it's an area of improvement. If he can figure it out, then and OBJ is able to get back to some level of health, like. You know, I mean, ha- adding that dimension to that offense could get really scary, and maybe that even makes it so that you know, sure, their their pass defense really doesn't have to elevate that much, and they can keep up with teams, even teams that can throw over the top and and pick apart some of the weakness on on the secondary. So, um, I mean, maybe that's those are the two keys. I'd say if if Baker can really unlock Odell, unlock the offense, and and that passing defense can figure things out. Those I think those are two uh, two bogeys for the Browns. But yeah, other than that, I just wanted to you know talk about Baker since you know I, I personally think he's being he gets a lot of uh, undeserved no. uh, um, bad mouthing uh, from from you know Bengals fans especially and and probably from some people in the league as well. <laughs> sure, uh, no, and and thank you for bringing that up. I. You know, that, that would have been bad for us to discuss the Browns. And, you know, we talked about the two other quarterbacks. And, uh, no, that was great. But I, I do, you know, want to leave us 10, 15 minutes, you know, to talk about your team, your your lovely team, the, the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> lovely, uh, yeah. What a word. And, and here, I'll just turn it over to you, I think, to start off. I think, like I said, Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor. Uh, what do you want to start with, you know, talking about – I, I I personally know your thoughts on Zach Taylor. I'm going to give you the floor for that, but I, I think mm-hmm. we should maybe start with Joe Burrow and spend a few minutes talking yeah. about that, and and then maybe go into uh, Zach Taylor. And, and I guess I will preface it saying, just for the general audience, Joe Burrow uh, tore his ACL week. What was it, nine or ten last year? Mm-hmm. He he tore his ACL. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, it's a pretty bad injury, and I'll let uh, you say more on that. Um, and he was the number one overall pick last year before that happened. And coming into this preseason, uh, the reports have not been great out of camp. Uh, but again, that's the national media perspective, and this is why we bring in the fans and, and the local perspective. So uh, with that in mind, I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you and, and get your thoughts on it and, and what you think the outlook is with Joe Burrow. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I guess that's that's exactly that's kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of the um, of the podcast. But um, it's kind of funny. I feel like you it got it was in the national media that the offense was struggling towards the first couple of days of camp. But if you followed beat writers recently, they the offense has actually really turned it up over the last week or so. Um, so it's interesting to see that that dichotomy of that. But yeah, in terms of Burrow, I mean, last year was was quite devastating. Like it's, it's as a Fan who went through four consecutive seasons of uh, of missing the playoffs after five consecutive seasons of making them, um, you know, I think it was it was an awesome rejuvenation to have a personality like Burrow, you know, guy with this level of swagger and and success and pedigree that he had at LSU as well. I, I you know I can tell you I was literally you know I would go to bed watching Joe Burrow highlights every single night <laughs> leading up to the season, just to give you a sense of how excited I was. Um, in terms of how the season went. You know, I think you, he, it was definitely, uh, it was encouraging. I think you had, he was extremely strong in the intermediate passing game, which I think is something that's stable year to year. And he was as good as any of them, as any of the quarterbacks in the league. And I think the, the, really the question for him last year was, you know, can you figure out this deep passing game, which was a point of strength for him at, at LSU. Um, but overall, I mean, pre-injury, I think everyone is excited about him. You know, he was making rookie mistakes here and there, you know, with maybe some timely turnovers, some bad decision-making. But, you know, he was – he had some games where he completely carved up defenses. And I think he had – he displayed a skill set that's that's very sticky and can probably make him a, a really good quarterback for, for the years to come. Um, I mean, obviously, I think that injury was devastating. The hope was that he could use a fully healthy offseason and – a full year to, you know, work out the kinks, uh, figure out the deep passing game, uh, maybe uh, iron out any sort of deficiencies in his game. Um, so I think that was definitely devastating for the fan base. Uh, we'd hope that we, he could use the extra time to get better. Um, but I think overall we're, you know, he's almost like a savior for our franchise. I think the everyone's really behind him. They they love the grit and the skill set that he displayed. And, you know, if you, uh, if you listen to some of the um, – the commentary from teammates and, and from Burrow himself, a lot of people have been saying that, and, and Jordan Palmer, his, uh, his quarterback coach that he worked with over the offseason, they were saying that he's going to surprise a lot of people. He's going to have an amazing year. His his velocity has increased, which is which is a knock on him last year. Um, and a lot of people are thinking that his deep ball is going to get better too. So, um, I mean, we'll see. I think, um, I think just actually see fully unlock Joe Burrow. Um, you know, we definitely need to cut him some slack for this year and that he – you know, was rehabbing a really grisly knee injury um, for most of the summer and maybe wasn't able to improve his game, but was rather trying to get back to a baseline of, of health and um, play. So, um, you know, I think I'll cut him, definitely, I think fan base folks should cut him some slack for the first uh, first few games this year and almost a good chunk of this year. But um, I think based on what we saw pre-injury, he, he, he looks like he's the guy. Um, and I think he has a lot of skills that'll, um, you know, hopefully translate into him becoming a top 10 quarterback in the league. 
No, uh, you know, you're the expert on this. I'm, I don't really need to add anything to that. I, I think from, you know, the outside perspective, I think it'll be really interesting. This may actually segue into the next one I want to discuss is year two with Zach Taylor, mm -hmm. if there's anything different. And then we'll talk about the surrounding weapons. Uh, and the, the team that I think about is, you know, we've talked about the Sean McVay effect. When Sean McVay came in and quite frankly, Jeff Fisher was so bad. I think anybody replacing him would have made that Rams team better. But Sean McVay revolutionized uh, offense, that offense for the Rams. And so you had this uh, fire or this, uh, you know, movements within these front offices trying to get these, you know, these very young forward thinking head coaches, uh, quite frankly, coaches that people didn't necessarily think should be deserving of roles. I think so one Kyle Shanahan's an example uh, Matt LaFleur is an example with the Packers and, and Zach Taylor. Uh, and, and I think, uh, I don't think Zach Taylor is a very good coach, to be honest, but I also didn't think Matt LaFleur mm -hmm. was a good hire for the Packers. Uh, and, and I think Aaron Rodgers has, you know, vocalized that as well, that indirectly, in maybe he, he wasn't as supportive of Matt LaFleur. And personally, I think we saw what happened with the NFC championship game. Past year, when you know we didn't give Aaron Rodgers the the ball on on fourth down, that's all a long way of saying the the Packers offense was much better in year two of Matt Lafleur. They went thirteen and three both years, uh, and I'm curious if year two with Zach Taylor is is any better for Joe Burrow and and what you think about Zach Taylor and and in, in, in general. Uh, and and so I'll flip it over to you there on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in terms of how I thought about the when the hire was first made, I think I was, I was, you know, excited, but skeptical, um, felt like he was a little bit inexperienced. Um, he, I think in terms of actually being a play caller, the, the highest level that he had our highest position he had had at that point was a stint with the university of Cincinnati, um, at the collegiate level. And, uh, frankly, you know, that, um, his stint there wasn't particularly strong. I don't think he necessarily lit the conference or lit, uh, the level, the college level on fire by any means. I think he was a very average, if not maybe even a below average coordinator, but I think people cut him some slack because the talent at UC at that point wasn't anything close to the talent that you have now. Um, so I think, you know, he was coming off a very average, maybe even below average stint at the offensive coordinator level. And, and, you know, the thing that he really got credit for with, um, with the Rams was his development of Jared Goff. <laughs> and you know, and you know where Jared got, I mean, just look at how Jared Goff has fallen off a cliff since that amazing year they had in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's what everyone was saying, like, okay, like, you know, this guy turned Jared Goff into a, um, into a quarterback that can take a team to the Super Bowl from where he was. And that's really, I think what he was given credit for because he wasn't calling plays. McVay was calling plays. Um, and he was a quarterback coach at the time. And I think he had the most direct relationship with, with Goff. And I think maybe what the Bengals front office thought or what, what the league was thinking was like, wow, this guy, you know, might be a quarterback whisperer guru. He turned Garrett, Jared Goff into, you know, parlaying, um, or parlaying the first round overall pick into signing a massive contract. Um, so I think that's what he was signed on. And, you know, you, you kind of look where Goff has gone and, um, you know, you, you think about where that coaching tree has gone. You know, I, I think that first to begin with, maybe the qualifications weren't there and we're, we're, and, and the Bengals, I think made a bet that, okay, yes, he may not have the qualifications. He's a little young, but you know, we're going to ride this, ride this guy who's a young guy and, you know, bet on his upside. So, 
you know, at some point you got to start to see the results being delivered. I think even when you think about his performance with the Bengals, one stat that really gets me is his performance in one score games. Um, and this is kind of like what we're going talking about, thinking back to Mike Tomlin and the stat isn't, you know, the stat isn't really that sticky from year to year. You should see some level of regression there, but the last two years, I think Taylor's probably only won one or two of these games and they have an absolutely abysmal record in one score games, which, you know, while it may not be, uh, I think it's a sign if you don't, if it's not a sticky statistic for a team and probably points to uh, deficiency in coaching. So um, I, I personally, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's how Anthony Wynn lost his yeah, job. Exactly. I, I, you know, and and I think um, no, I mean, I don't disagree. Let's let's pause for a second, real quick. I'm, we only have one person in the audience. I'm going to see if anybody wants to, if Andrew does want to say anything. Uh, sure. If not, I'll turn back over to you. But I, all right. Uh, looks like Andrew's good. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let you keep going on that. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but. Yeah, keep going on, no, no, on no. that thought, whether if you want to stick with Zach Taylor or transition to the – I mean, because basically it just sounds like, that, you know, year three, you got to deliver. It's your second year with the quarterback. Um, exactly. And I, I, I just – I wonder if it wasn't the Bengals franchise, if there'd be more external pressure, you know, from the media. You know, I feel you had Marvin Lewis there for so long. Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow was – kind of came out of nowhere, but once he was here, he was such a highly touted prospect. You know, you don't want to screw this up. Uh, and you just don't hear the mm-hmm. same. I mean, mainly just because Zach Taylor was so unknown. Uh, but but it remains mm-hmm. to be seen what happens. At, it's, it's, it sounds like you're a little pessimistic about it. But uh, let's let's kind of bookend this conversation with what Taylor does with those uh, with that offense. And the big acquisition was Jamar Chase. I think there was a little bit of controversy uh, mm-hmm. in the draft. I personally think Panay Sewell should have been the pick by the Bengals at, it was the fifth overall pick, correct? You took Jamar? Yeah, fifth. And nobody mm-hmm. thought Panay would be there. He arguably could have been the third overall pick pre-Niners trade-up, uh, likely was going to be gone by four, and he was there at five, and the Bengals passed on him. So I hope that's not an indictment of the front office, but what do you think about the non-Joe Burrow, non-Zach Taylor aspects of this team, and whether that's Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins. Uh, I mean, no A.J. Green uh, for the first time in a decade. So, I mean, that's I don't think really think it's going to have an impact because he wasn't very useful. But, uh, yeah, what, what do you think about all those other aspects? Yeah, um, and I think one thing that I'll say about um, Taylor this that sort of ties into this is I think he's done an interesting job with the – with the front office in terms of uh, their free agents, free agency plans for the last couple of years. Um, you know, if, if you listen to the media and local and national media, you know, the Bengals and the Browns are, have a, have a history and a, and a tendency of to be stingy when it comes to free agents. But this past couple of years, they've actually, you know, really pushed the bill and have given more guaranteed money that, than they have ever had in their, in their, in their franchise history, given bigger contracts than they ever have. So, you know, I think the whole thought process was that, um, you know, we want to give ourselves as much flexibility as possible. We have, that's why they went out and signed Riley Reef. And I think what they were thinking was, you know, we can, we want to make this decision from uh, which player and which prospect do we want to bet the most on that can ultimately be a, um, a franchise changer and just a, a player that can, you know, 
be a be a cornerstone. Not to say that Sewell couldn't, but I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, on the I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, Zach Martin with the Cowboys was drafted over Johnny Manziel at the last right. second, and he was staple. Travis Frederick, that's just the Cowboys. Uh, Quentin Nelson with the Colts, that's mm-hmm. a cornerstone. Uh, Joe Thomas right. with the Browns, as low as they were, you could always count on him and I'm going bounce between eras, but so I push back on you or not push back on you, but I push back on that narrative a little bit because I feel it's more, it was more a PR thing. I think, Oh, Jamar and Joe, you know, from, from LSU. That's my thought. I mean, but, but from what you're sounding, mm-hmm. what you're saying, you think they thought the it was more intentional was higher with Jamar. Is that, is that what it sounds yeah. like? Yeah. And if you think about back to like the last, uh, you know, two, three decades of Bengals football, I think one thing that's been made clear by by Mike Brown and and the people that have been running the franchise for a while is that they really really value their wide receivers. You know, you had Chad Johnson um, be the uh, be the um, the leader of that room, that position group for for ten years. And as soon as Johnson left, we drafted AJ Green at number four. And Green, you know, my my, my probably favorite Bengal of all time. Um, led the wide receiver room for 10 years. And I know, I think they, we came to a point and they were like, yeah, we like T Higgins. Um, we don't know about his upside, but we really think that Jamar could be a top five receiver in the league down the line. And I think, you know, they value, they have valued, at least since I've been a fan, um, really great wide receivers. And I think they wanted to make the bet that sure. Jamar would be a great wide receiver. So I think that's point number one. Oh, yeah. And, no, I was just going to say – and to that point, I mean, in in favor of that, the Bengals really aren't a team that have been bitten by, you know, investing in wide receivers and not panning out. Because I think a lot of times you'll see where the, <laughs> you're, you're forgetting one, John Ross uh, a few years ago. Oh, wow. OK, yeah. that totally derails my argument, because I was going to say, you know, the last time the Bengals heavily invested in a wide receiver was A.J. Green. And look how it turned out. No, I mean, yeah, John Ross was a colossal failure, colossal mm-hmm. failure. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe AJ panned out so well, and Chad. I know for the longest time, Chad Ochocinco slash Johnson was the only player I knew on the Bengals year to year. Mainly the personality was also just that good. So I, I, I guess that's a good point. But sorry, carry on. Uh, I, I just wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, yeah. So just point one. I think the Bengals have historically, um, you know, any, even b- before Johnson, they have such amazing receivers that you know probably a like a normal fan or non-Bengals fan would know, but. Um, Chris Collinsworth, Carl Pickens, uh, you know, a bunch of legendary guys. Um, so I think that's something that they valued. They probably saw that Chase could become that the next, uh, um, you know, I'll say AJ Green, but they have very different play styles. But the next top five receiver for in the in the entire league. So I think that was point number one. Point number two, I think it really comes down to their belief in Jonah Williams as the left tackle for the future. And I think if you have been listening to um, Lions camp or just reading an Lions analysis post preseason games. Um, Sewell's actually been struggling to make this transition from left tackle to right tackle. So, I mean, I think the Lions have Taylor Decker out there at left tackle right now. So they've kind of forced Sewell to make that position switch and which is probably what Sewell would have had to do for the Bengals as well. Or if Sewell didn't have to, then they would have had to push Jonah Williams over to the right tackle side instead. So I think what it came down to was, if we draft Sewell, then we're going to have to force either Jonah Williams or Sewell to make that position switch. And I think the way that Bengals thought about it was we like Jonah Williams a lot, so we don't want to potentially stunt his development. We don't want to force him to change positions after he's 
gained a lot of position or gained a lot of um, experience at this one position for the last year or so. So I think that's probably honestly what it, another thing that came down to their belief in Jonah Williams. You know, if we had a huge gaping hole at left tackle, I think it probably would have made the decision easier, but I think they probably believe in Jonah Williams and they didn't want to force one of these two guys to, to flip over to the right tackle. So I think that's another thing that hasn't, wasn't really discussed too much in the national media was the team actually really liked Jonah Williams 11th overall pick a couple of years ago from Alabama, probably the one or two ranked tackle prospect in that class. And, um, I, I think they, they probably just have a lot of faith in him and they think that, um, you know, forcing someone to switch and is, is something that could stunt their development and their growth. And, you know, at least in two preseason games, definitely hasn't helped Penny by, by any means in terms of making that switch. So uh, I think that's probably, probably another reason for why you saw the Jamar pick. Yeah, you know, that's, I wasn't aware of any of that with Jonah Williams and the Penny school transition. And it, it, gives it sheds more light on the decision and frankly you know makes it a more respectable decision uh and i think tying that all in with even if jamar and joe didn't play together at osu you know it it kind of gave me shades of when the colts in 2012 uh, drafted andrew luck first overall mm-hmm. and then they made sure to draft kobe fleener whether either they they traded up with the first right. pick of the second round <laughs> They they uh-huh. trade drafted Kobe Cleaner way too early just because of that connection. And you did see uh, in the early parts of the Colts tenure, you know, they had that connection. And frankly, I mean, it still wasn't worth the pick investment, but sometimes stuff like that works out. Um, but no, th- I mean, this is all, you know, stuff that I wasn't myself aware of and I could have researched and still not, you know, been able to find it within five, 10 minutes. So this has been I think really helpful mm-hmm. just for, you know, I'm, I'm a sports nut. I, I like being educated about this stuff. Um, so I appreciate that. Is there, are there any other, as we wrap up here, are there any other topics or, you know, little tidbits or points you want to get in, recap anything or just, you know, did, did, did we miss anything major? I, I think we covered, you know, a good chunk of stuff, but I want to give you the floor one last time to see if there's anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, or two things. One, I think, you know, thinking back to the quarterback discussion, and this is a little bit off the beaten path, but I think would be a little bit remiss in not mentioning Big Ben, especially given how much he's terrorized us for the last two decades. Um, you know, he's obviously had a Hall of Fame career, but he's another guy who I think um, for, for the Steelers, it's going to make a world of a difference in terms of if they can surprise people. Maybe he maybe he's able to turn back the clock a little bit, um, but I think that's something that may be important to mention really quickly but um yeah i mean the last thing i want to say about the Bengals is you know it's it's an important year we'll see if taylor can put things together like i said he was very much like an upside pick quote unquote for to be the coach so you know at some time at some point we need to see that upside being delivered in terms of the offense becoming uh, a top uh top unit in, in the league and unfortunately coincides with the joe burr recovery year but um you know i mean i think all the all the um, notes from camp, all the notes from the people that Burrow works with is that he's he's getting better. He's putting a lot of work. He's improving on his weaknesses. So, you know, maybe maybe Taylor does have a lot to work with. So I think we, one, look at how Burrow plays, you know, as independently as we can from away from the structure and just look at it, how he's maybe improved. And then, you know, try to get a sense of if uh, how much Taylor has contributed to that, how much has he helped or hurt. Um, and I think it'll be a pivotal year to see where this, where the direction of this franchise goes. And really, I think comes down to Taylor and if he can put the pieces together on the offensive end. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, 
I, you know, I'm going to agree with you all that, frankly, because you know more about it and, and, you know, you presented it in uh, really strong ways, but on uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk offline about this stuff, but uh, even greater pleasure to actually, you know, give you the floor here and, and talk this stuff out with you. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I learned a lot here. Hopefully, you know, the listeners learned a little bit about kind of a, one of the forgotten teams of the NFL in uh, in your Cincinnati Bengals, but thank you, thank you so much for the time, and hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for thanks for having me on, and I love what you're doing, and I will make sure to call in when you have uh, maybe some other deep dives on these AFC North teams, so I can talk some trash to some to some uh, Browns fans. I'd love that. Oh, I welcome it. Well, thanks, thanks a lot, man. And enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and uh, to everybody listening, thanks for tuning in with Sports with the Z. I will see you next week. Everybody have a good one.